We are continuing this morning with some very practical teaching about judging as found in Romans chapter 14. And so if you have your copy of the scriptures, please open to Romans chapter 14. Verses 1 to 12 are going to be our focus in these minutes. There's a true sad story of a dance instructor named Alberto Fargo, who was in his dance studio teaching a class of students the tango dance. And he was dancing without a partner and showing that it ought to be done with head held high, your partner's hand held high, and with great enthusiasm looking only at the ceiling as he taught his class, he went right out of a fifth story window to his death. True story, read in the newspaper several years ago. That's a problem of focus and what you're looking at. If he had looked at the open window with the low railing, everything would have been fine, but he was looking above and beyond to the ceiling and fell to his death. Very, very sad story. And I tell you that story to weave it intermittently into this message about judging because this passage is calling you and I not to look down on other believers in matters the scriptures don't address directly in non-moral differences that we might live out. We're not to look down at other believers, but we're also not to look over and beyond other believers as if they don't at all matter. This morning's passage in the first 12 verses of chapter 14 tells us to look at each other without judgment. And the verses that follow, God willing, in a couple of weeks, taking a break for Father's Day, verses 13 to 23 of Romans 14, are going to tell us don't look over other believers and don't look beyond them as if they're somehow inconsequential. So this morning, we're looking at practical biblical truth to help us with respect to judging other Christians in non-moral, not scripturally addressed issues, all right? And this morning, we're going to see from this passage, bottom line, that we are to look at each other, but not down in judgment upon each other in these particular issues. Now, the passage before us gives us two concrete examples that I believe are timeless. They certainly were hot-button issues in the ancient church at Rome, namely diet, what persons eat, and days of the calendar year, diet and days. And you may say, is that relevant for today? I believe it is, and I'll show you why in a moment. They're the two issues that the paragraphs cite as being non-moral issues that aren't addressed specifically by the New Testament, that we aren't to look down upon each other if we have different ways of working these things out, are diet and days of the calendar year. So let's start with the issue and example of diet. Romans 14, 1 through 4. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt he who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? 
To his own master he stands or falls, and he stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let me give you the historical, cultural background to these verses. Back when the original believers in the city of Rome were first reading this letter, this inspired letter, there was something going on that they all were struggling with. It was a non-moral issue of diet that the scriptures didn't direct directly address, and they came from a variety, these believers in the church at Rome came from a variety of of religious backgrounds. There were converted Jews, and there were converted Gentiles in this church. And on the one hand, the born-again Jews remembered the ceremonial requirements of food that the Mosaic law dictated, and on the other hand, the born-again Gentiles there at Rome remembered the drunken orgies and the sacrifices of food to various idols. Now, I want to define for you biblically the difference between a strong and a weak believer. Let me start with a strong believer. There are strong believers here this morning. A strong believer is a believer who is mature in his or her freedom in Christ. A strong believer is mature in his or her freedom in Christ because, because, because that strong believer looks to the scriptures, understands what they teach about certain matters, and have convictions. Convictions do not equal opinions. Weak believers only have opinions. Strong believers have convictions because they know what the scriptures teach about an issue. So again, a strong believer is a believer who is mature in their freedom in Christ because they have developed convictions over time studying and reading the word of God. In this situation, historically, there were strong and mature believers who knew their freedoms in Christ back in the church in Rome. And those strong believers ate all meats without any violation of their conscience. They ate all the meats. They went to the market. They didn't give any thought to if that meat had been offered to an idol. They just, it was a good price. They wanted to eat that meat. They bought it, and they ate it without any violation of their conscience. They understood their freedom in Christ, and they took up upon it. Strong believers. They didn't have an Old Testament hang-up about Old Testament law about a meat, they entered in with the freedom they had in Christ to eat meats of all natures. The strong Jewish Christians at Rome didn't put themselves under the law again. Jesus fulfilled the law. The strong Gentile Christians there at Rome didn't put themselves under their idol's former sway and authority in their lives. And so again, a strong believer, and some here today are strong believers because you have convictions about things that God has spoken to, and you understand you have certain freedoms in Christ because you understand the word of God. Now let me tell you, uh, I have opinions and I have convictions. I wouldn't necessarily cross the street for my opinions, whether your car is red and I like white, whether I eat at Dairy Queen or at McDonald's. My opinions, I I may not even cross the street for them, but I'll tell you something, I'd die for my convictions. I would die for my convictions. So a strong believer has convictions rooted in Scripture, whereas the weak believer is more immature. The weak believer is born again, saved, going to heaven, part of the church, but the weak believer, and there may be some weak believers here this morning, does not yet 
have convictions out of Scripture. They only have opinions. They only have opinions. They lack convictions. And so in verse 1, these weaker believers are addressed. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. So the strong believer with the convictions isn't to look down in judgment upon the weaker believer who does not yet have those convictions, but only has opinions. And so where the two Christians differ in non-moral issues that aren't addressed by God's word, we're not to look down on each other in judgment. So these immature believers at ancient Rome were Christians who didn't yet understand their freedom in Christ to eat certain meats. Those who were converted Jews and weak felt that they still had to follow the Jewish law's dietary rules. And those who were converted Gentiles but weak in faith felt that they still had to abstain from eating any meat that had once been offered to an idol. But they weren't to judge each other, the strong and the weak. Please notice from verses 1 to 4, three things. The strong are told to accept the weak. Verse 1a, now accept the one who is weak in faith. Notice second, the strong are told not to look down on the weak. That's the first part of verse 3. Do you see it with me? First part of verse 3, let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. The strong are not to look down on the weak. Third, notice, the weak are also told not to condemn the strong. Second part of verse 3. Let not him who does not eat judge he who eats, for God has accepted him. The strong are told to accept the weak. Don't pass judgment on them. Let me interject. One of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the New Testament, in my opinion, is Matthew 7.1. If you hold your place in Romans... And go with me to the first gospel, Matthew 7, which is Jesus' teaching in the great Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not judge, lest you be judged. I think that is slaughtered by way of interpretation by a lot of Christians. That is not saying that we can't point out sin in a brother or a sister objective sin against the word of God. doesn't mean that we aren't allowed to do that. What it does mean is we are not allowed to judge the heart of another believer. You don't know my heart when I'm preaching God's word. My heart could be pure and for the glory of God preaching, or I could have a less than pure heart, and I could be wanting to do this for some other reason, less than the glory of God. You can't judge my heart. Only God can judge my heart. But judge not, lest you be judged, is not Jesus forbidding us to call sin, sin in another believer's life. Otherwise, church discipline would be meaningless. And if you have no church discipline, you have an evil, wicked, compromised assembly that dishonors God. And if you go on in Matthew 7, and we won't take the time, but in Matthew 7, 2 to 6, he talks, Jesus talks about you have to judge who's a dog. You have to judge who's a swine. You have to identify sin, objectively identify sin as found in God's word and God's character. So judge not, lest you be judged, is not a command you can't point out sin in another believer for the purpose of restoration and confession of sin and repentance, but it is saying you don't know their hearts. You don't know their motivations. Only God knows that. So going back to Romans 14, 1 to 4, again, the strong, those who have convictions on matters, are told to accept the weak, those who only have opinions, they don't have convictions yet, don't pass judgment. Second, the strong are told not to look down on the weak, but 
conversely, the weak are told not to condemn the strong. We're not to judge each other in non-moral issues that the scriptures don't directly address. Don't look down on each other. Don't judge each other. Accept each other. And so going back to this example in the text of diet, it was the first example of an area within which the first century Christians at Rome were tempted to judge each other. And question, is diet still an area that we have to watch with respect to judging other Christians? I think so. There are some weight loss programs that people have that are Bible-based and Christ-centered, the Way Down Workshop, the Eden Diet, the Hallelujah Diet. There's all kinds of them on the internet. And then there's Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers is not Christ-centered. Weight Watchers is not Bible-centric. But do we look down on a Christian who's in Weight Watchers versus one of these other Christian so-called weight loss programs? No. It's a non-moral issue. Scripture hasn't addressed what weight loss program we're supposed to join. Diet can be an issue. Or our friends that are Seventh-day Adventists, hearkening back to the Old Testament law and saying you should only eat vegetables. Are we to look down on them because they're putting themselves under the law and saying just eat vegetables and not meat? When we understand, I think, we have freedom in Christ to eat meat and vegetables? We're not to judge them in a non-moral matter. Let me bring it closer to home. Years ago, Beth and I had food, knowingly, in our food pantry that was offered once to idols. It was peanut butter. My mother was a receptionist at a funeral home in a suburb of Toronto, and they served the funeral needs of all faiths, of course. And there was a Buddhist practice that when a Buddhist person died, the surviving loved ones would bring all the favorite foods of the deceased to the funeral home. And then the Buddhist monk would pray over those foods in the funeral home, burning incense, smoke over those foods with the belief that somehow those foods could be transported into the afterlife for the Buddhist to enjoy those foods and have a pleasurable afterlife. And so what do you do with these foods that the monk prayed over and burned incense over at the funeral home? They left them behind. My mother scooped them up. And she said, you want some peanut butter? I got it at a Buddhist incense burning ceremony last night. Do you want it? I said, Sure. Makes good sandwiches. No worries. It was some jelly. Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. So you can see this isn't so far-fetched as you might think. One to four, Romans 14. We aren't to judge each other. The strong believer with convictions is not to judge the weak believer who does not yet have convictions. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, peanut butter from funeral homes, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him not who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. You're accepted in Christ, whether you're a weak brother or sister or you're a strong brother and sister. We're all accepted in Christ. So accept each other. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Hmm. There's a second area in this passage that is cited that was a contentious area between stronger and weaker believers in Rome. 
And it was days of the year, days on the calendar. I see it there in verses 5 and 6. Please see it with me. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. I'll say it again. I'll read it again. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he eats not and gives thanks to God. So the second area that is cited in this passage is the area of days of the calendar year. And apparently back in Rome and here this morning, there are weak, immature believers who either gravitated to or shunned away from certain days of the calendar year, which they had marked in their past before Christ, either as Jews or as Gentiles. The Jewish converts to Christ back there in Rome wanted to reverence the Jewish Sabbath and the other Jewish holy days that were associated in the law as feasts for Israel. Whereas Back in the ancient church at Rome, there were Gentile converts to Christ who wanted to avoid all days that they once associated with pagan festivities and the immoralities that were attendant and the idol worship that was attendant to those former pagan days of the calendar year. Now, apparently, the strong and mature believers, be they Jew or Gentile back then, lived their lives unconcerned about the debate over whether days on the calendar were good or bad. Verse 5. One man regards one day above another. Another man regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, one's own personal conscience... Your consciences, these are the key. One's own personal conscience is the key in all of this. Do whatever you do. Don't do whatever you don't do for God's glory. In obedience to the Holy Spirit's promptings within you as registered by your conscience, do whatever you do. Don't do whatever you don't do for the glory of God. Your conscience is key. You know, your conscience and mine is a very sophisticated and a very precious piece of equipment that comes factory installed in the womb. Your conscience is a precious piece of equipment. It's not to be ignored. And your conscience will develop grow, become more sophisticated and more educated as you grow in the knowledge of the scriptures as a believer. Listen to John MacArthur on this. Each Christian must follow the dictates of his own conscience in matters not specifically commanded or prohibited in scripture. Since conscience is a God-given mechanism to warn and responds to the highest standard of moral law in the mind, the highest standard of moral law in the mind. And then Dr. MacArthur references Romans 2, 14 to 15. Let me take a diversion from his quote for a minute. 
For when Gentiles, remember they didn't have the law, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Dr. MacArthur's point, based on Romans 2, 14 to 15, is that the highest moral law is in our minds, our consciences. And I go on with his quote. It is not sensible to train yourself to ignore your conscience. Rather, respond to its compunctions as you mature. By learning more, by learning more, your mind will not alert it to those things which are not essential. End of quote. And that's it. Train yourself to heed your conscience, but grow your conscience. Grow your conscience in what God has said as propositional truth in his word. Grow your conscience, which will give you true freedom in Christ. You'll be a strong, conviction-filled follower of Jesus. That's it. So we train ourselves to heed our consciences, and we discipline ourselves to learn more of God's word, and then we watch our consciences get strong and mature so that we can live in the freedom which we have in Jesus Christ. That's it. And as I previously asked you about the issue of diet, now let me ask you about the issue of days on the calendar. Is that an issue today? Certain days on the calendar, is that an issue that Christians debate and be tempted to look down on each other if we don't look at days on the calendar the same? Yeah. Yeah. Some Christians don't observe Halloween and others do. A very tiny number of Christians don't observe Christmas. I'm not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. They're a cult. A very tiny number of Christians don't observe Christmas. The majority of us do. Some Christians publicly worship on Saturdays. Most believers publicly worship on Sundays, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Some Christians now schedule public worship services on weekdays, Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. Is that okay? Some Christians don't observe Lent. Others do. Some Christians mark the day of Christ's ascension and others don't in the calendar year. So when you look at some of these examples, I submit this morning that days on the calendar still are an issue between stronger and weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. An area within which we can be tempted to look down on other Christians who don't see certain days of the calendar year in the same way that we do. And so Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, command us not to judge each other in the observance of days or the non-observance of days in the calendar. Now we move from the two examples in our text of diet and days, issues we're prone to judge each other's, to three facts. I want to close this message with three facts that are pertinent to our judging being inappropriate on non-moral things, things that aren't clearly addressed in Scripture. You don't know it's black and white. 
and there's gray. The issues in the Bible that are addressed are black issues. You don't argue with them. God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That's black. White in the scriptures is equally clear. Do this. Be sure you do this. Be sure you do that. There are black issues in the Bible, and there are white issues. But guess what? There are some issues and some topics that are gray, simply because the Bible doesn't address them. Democracy, it's not a Bible issue. It's a political preference that we think has advantage. I'll let you just chew on that one for a little bit. The first fact, though, I want us to see that shows us that judging another Christian, looking down at another Christian, either as the stronger brother with convictions or as the weaker brother with opinions, we aren't to look down at each other in judgment. Three facts. First fact, God accepts both the stronger and the weaker brothers and sisters. God accepts both the stronger and the weaker believer. Look again at verse Verses 1 to 4. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. He's weak in faith. He only has opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the first fact to put in your pocket or your purse or your billfold as you walk out this morning is God accepts both the strong and the weak believer. Aren't you glad? Second fact, stronger and weaker believers can differ in perfectly good conscience before God and each other. In non-moral issues that Scripture does not address, we as strong or weak brother or sister can coexist and do differently with clear consciences before God and clear consciences before each other. That's what verses 5 and 6 are stressing. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Stronger and weaker believers in non-moral issues that are not addressed by the Scriptures can and will differ from each other with clear and good consciences. When Scripture neither commands something nor forbids this particular matter, there is freedom to follow your own conscience. Christians will never completely agree on so-called gray areas because our minds are processing different information. And we are at different stages of spiritual maturation. We have different information at hand, Remember, it's not biblical information. These are issues the Bible doesn't speak to. We have different information, and our consciences are at differing stage of maturity in Christ. That's why there's always going to be differences between stronger and weaker brothers or sisters in Christ. But we're not to judge each other. We're not to look down at each other. 
We have no business looking down on someone in this church or any church who is sincerely living to God's glory in a different way than we sincerely strive for God's glory in an issue the Bible doesn't address that's non-moral. So relax. Cut them slack. Enjoy life. Life's too short. Fact number three, remember the first fact? Let's review. First fact, God accepts both the stronger and the weaker believers. Fact two, stronger and weaker believers can differ in perfectly good conscience. Fact three, all believers, strong or weak, all believers shall be individually judged by the Lord. All believers shall be individually judged by Jesus at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. My mother had all kinds, and my dad too, had all kinds of adages as parents that I found out later they learned in the textbook that are assigned to all parents. And this is some of their statements on parenting. You don't worry about her, you worry about you. Mind your own business. Your concern should be you doing right, not your brother doing right. You can't control him, you can control you. It's not important that she told you it was right. Did you figure out for yourself that it was right or wrong? If the other kids jumped off the tall building, what do you say? Would you? In the parenting textbook, right? All believers shall be individually judged by Jesus. After we're raptured, caught up in the twinkling of an eye to meet the Lord in the air, ever to be with the Lord, we go to heaven for the Bema judgment seat evaluation while the tribulation judgments are ongoing for seven years down on earth, we're in heaven coming one by one individually, publicly before Christ, and he's judging us. Not for heaven or hell, that's been settled. There's that now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. Let each man be careful how he builds upon it. If you're saved, Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life and ministry on earth. And you are building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, year by year. And we are to be careful, according to verse 10, how we build upon our foundation of Christ. Verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man, there it is, it's a personal, individual evaluation. Each man's work will become evident for the day, the day of evaluation at the Bema, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Jesus Christ is going to test the quality, not the quantity, the quality of your ministry work while on earth. And he's going to test it with fire at the Bema. And what is poorly motivated, selfishly motivated, not done for the glory of God and faithfulness that he provides for you to be faithful in doing that work will burn up like wood, hay, and straw. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll lose reward on those acts of ministry that weren't properly motivated or empowered on earth. 
Fire will also show that some of the work we do for Christ while alive on earth is non-flammable. Some of the motivations of our ministries, some of the um, ambitions of our ministries, some of the work we do in the strength of the Spirit of God for the glory of God will not burn up at that evaluation. They're inflammable. And those ministries, those efforts, will be rewarded. Think of it. A God of grace giving us forgiveness of all of our sins, a home in heaven one day with him. That's enough grace for eternity, but he's so gracious he'll even reward some of us in the kingdom of Christ on earth of a thousand years length if we don't have certain ministry works burned up at the Bema. What grace? What grace? If any man's work which he has built upon it remains after the fire, he shall receive a reward. Not in the eternal state, not in the new heaven and the new earth, but in the future coming kingdom that Jesus prayed about in his disciples' prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thousand-year king, Christ on earth, ruling and reigning, suppressing evil with a rod of iron, Isaiah 11, a rejuvenation, a renaissance of planet earth, carnivore animals now going back to being herbivore animals, lions lying down with lambs, children playing beside the den of cobra poisonous snakes that are no longer poisonous. In that future coming thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth, some of us, all of us will enter it if we're saved, but not all of us will inherit as reward part of it. I know that was a question in some of our mini-churches. I filmed a sequel lesson we'll show in the fall, God willing, to expand on the difference between entering the coming kingdom and entering the coming kingdom and inheriting it as a reward. For now, let me just say that there is a coming judgment of Jesus on us who believe. Not a judgment to for heaven or hell. That's been settled when we trust, transferred our trust to Christ. We're born again. We're adopted into God's family. We're secure in our salvation. And then just to finish this passage... The Spirit of God knows all, and he knew that some of us would say, does that mean you lose your salvation if all your works are wood, hay, and straw? Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, the whole enchilada, if any man's work is burned up at the judgment seat of Christ, he shall suffer loss, not of salvation, loss of reward in the kingdom. How do I know that? Goes on. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. J. Vernon McGee, that grovelly-voiced Bible teacher who's still on the radio but in heaven for decades, said, when we get to heaven, some believers are going to smell mighty smoky. <laughs> if a man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. So let me close with the final verses of our passage, verses 7 to 12, Give us seven realities in, in connect, connection and conjunction with not judging each other. Seven realities, verses 7 to 12. Let me read the verses with you first. Uh, going back to Romans 14, starting at verse 7 and reading through verse 12. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. Watch it, bottom line, point of the passage. So then, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. So mind your own business in non-moral issues that the scriptures don't address. Don't look down at Christians who live out those issues differently than you, whether you're a strong brother with conviction or you're a weak brother without conviction and only opinion. Don't look down at each other in non-moral issues that the scriptures do not specifically address. So what are these seven realities in those verses I just read? Seven realities, they all combine to make a future individual judgment by Jesus Christ of believers at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, sure and certain. Ready? Believers, none of us lives to himself or herself. The Christian life is not a solo sport. Second, none of us lives alone. We live in community. We live in Christian community. I hope you're remembering the shut-ins of our fellowship who can't get here on Sundays. I hope you're phoning them, visiting them, telling them you're praying for them. The fact is, even a believer of this assembly who can't get here due to illness and weakness is still part of us. Let them know they're part of us. None of us lives to himself. None of us lives alone. Third, none of us dies to himself. When you die and go to heaven, it will affect people that love you, that are left behind. None of us dies to himself, and none of us dies alone either. That's all in this text. Fifth, living or dying, we belong to the Lord. Living or dying, we belong to the Lord. Sixth, Jesus Christ is Lord of both the dead and of the living. He's Lord, he's Lord, he's risen from the dead and he is Lord. Let every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the living and of the dead. Seventh and last, God has a judgment seat. I've read to you about it in First and Second Corinthians. For reward given for the kingdom time or reward withheld for the kingdom time. So in closing... In light of all we've seen in verses 1 to 12 of Romans 14, the Christian's life focus cannot merely be on himself. The Christian's life focus cannot merely be on herself. We are bought. We are redeemed. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We have an effect on others. Others have an effect on us. Christ is our ultimate authority. Christ has been made our future evaluator Stop evaluating each other in issues that are non-moral and not addressed by the Bible. Now, since Christ has been made our future judge for evaluation, we have no business judging or looking down at any other believer. Not in diet. Not in days of the calendar year. Not in matters of being weak, only having opinions or in matters of being strong, having convictions, not in matters of missing or experiencing freedom in Christ. Remember, it is convictions in the strong believer that give him or her freedom in Christ, the knowledge of freedom in Christ. For the weaker believer, destined for heaven, if they lack biblical convictions and operate on opinions, they don't know or live out total freedom in Christ yet. We need to help them.
teach them. So remember the last tango in Lisbon. If he'd been looking down at the floor while having his head up, probably would have been all right. But he was looking over and past to the ceiling. He went right out to his death. We must look at our fellow Christians, not in judgment. We're to look at fellow Christians to learn from them, to love them, to nurture them in their spiritual advancement, to help them to serve Jesus Christ, whether they're weak or strong in their faith, as defined by the Bible. And when we look at each other with those kind of attitudes, we will mutually build each other up in Christ. And that's precious. And so, dear Lord, deliver me as the pastor of this church from ever looking down at another believer in the flock. Deliver my brothers and sisters, Lord, from looking down in judgment at a weaker brother or a stronger brother or sister. Help us to understand our freedoms in Christ in non-moral matters that aren't addressed directly by God's word. Don't look down at other believers because that's judging. Instead, look at other believers because that's mutually edifying. Oh God, this is our prayer. This is our hope. And this is our commitment. May the weak among us become deeper rooted in the scriptures to get convictions. And may the strong among us hold to our convictions in grace and patience with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, and for Jesus' church. And God's people said, amen.